Welcome to Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 6, Episode 13, The Haunted Old Idaho Penitentiary. This is a three-part episode with bonus material added for those interested in taking a deep dive into one of the most active, haunted prisons in the world. There is no other word to describe the old Idaho penitentiary other than misery. It is a stark reminder of the brutal, cruel, and insanely inhumane life of a prisoner in Idaho's early prison system. And some may argue that Idaho has just reasoning for such conditions with inmates such as the state's first female serial killer to the United States' Jack the Ripper, the old Idaho penitentiary in Boise, Idaho, saw the worst in humanity. Over 13,000 souls passed through the old Idaho pen since the doors opened in 1872, and some say not all of them left. In fact, there is so much activity within these old walls that occurrences are a daily event. The complex was first constructed in 1870, a full 20 years before Idaho became a state. The territorial prison, as it was then known, was first built as a single cell house near the city of Boise, with the very walls and building built by the prisoners themselves. The single cell house was only to be used to house about 20 individuals, but soon they had nearly 60 individuals imprisoned and needed to expand the grounds. In 1890, the prison was expanded and included a new cell house that housed 42 individual steel door cage cells. However, even with this new expansion, the prison was still taking in criminals. The individual-sized cells were holding two to three individuals, making for very difficult living conditions. The cells did not have washrooms and only a honeypot was used. Each cell had one honeypot, or basically a bowl to urinate and defecate in. The honeypot lay on the ground in the cell and was only cleaned out once per day, in the morning just before breakfast. Now in the sweltering desert heat of summer, the honeypots made the air thickly sick. In the winter, the urine and feces would freeze, making the cleaning even more difficult. Oftentimes, because the cells were so crowded, the honeypot would be kicked over or stepped into. Cells were only cleaned once per month. Prisoners sent to Idaho Pen knew that they would suffer through extremely hot conditions in the summer and brutally cold conditions in the winter. The cells had very little ventilation and only one radiator producing heat on the main floor that was situated near the guards on duty. The new cell house was divided into three classes. The first floor held the more favorable prisoners, while the second held more violent or those with longer sentences. The third was reserved for those doing life or condemned to death. These particular cells had a clear view of the beautiful Rose Garden. The Rose Garden also was where the large wooden gallows stood. Without knowing this history and not being on the tour, many visitors wandering through this area suddenly find that they have developed a headache or a neck ache. They feel sudden gusts of wind and cold and feeling as if they're being watched. One particular witness claimed they saw an apparition of a man in a striped prison clothing, tending to the blooming roses. 
Others have seen the same man walking about and thinking he is a museum staff member dressed up. They ask to have a photo taken or to ask a question, only to find the man vanishes before their very eyes. Do you like to travel? Want to vacation more frequently? We'll visit our show sponsor, www.experiencethis360.com for travel inspiration, tips, and advice. Learn how you can save on car rentals, hotels, and flights. Just visit www.experiencethis360.com. Now back to the podcast. The warded in the early days and the guards were absolute power hungry and kept prisoners in line by exacting beatings that left prisoners just shy of death. Officials looked to more ways of influencing prisoners to behave and keep in line, and in 1926 they erected a small, low-brick building that prisoners nicknamed Siberia, the end of the earth, the loneliest place on earth. It was solitary confinement, an often unbearable punishment for those who crossed the guards. Prisoners were placed in unlit rooms with no beds that measured three feet by eight feet. Prisoners would be let out once per week for one hour, usually for a quick shower, and then placed back in, the large steel doors closing behind them. There were three meals provided each day. Breakfast was a bowl of oatmeal. Lunch was a bowl of oatmeal. And supper, you guessed it, a bowl of oatmeal. Inside, prisoners usually went mad. Some prisoners just screamed and yelled all day and night. For those prisoners who kept in line, a multi-purpose building was constructed, which operated many different operations, including a shirt factory, a license plate shop, a laundry, a bakery, and a shoe factory. In the rear of the building, larger showers were made for the prisoners, but these were communal and often the location of unsavory events. In one reported incident, a prisoner was gang-raped to death in the shower area. During these early years, there were a few female inmates scattered about the yard, but many became pregnant, and it is not certain if the women were willing participants raped by the male inmates or if the guards themselves were assaulting the women. In 1920, a separate cell block was constructed with a separate wall just outside the main prison walls to house the females separate from the male inmates. The cell block was a lot more comfortable than the men's, but that did not mean that the females were any less dangerous. In fact, one of the United States' first female serial killers was housed in the woman's cell block. In 1912, Lida Sothard, aged 21, married Robert C. Dooley and moved to a farm in Twin Falls, Idaho. Together, they lived with their infant daughter and Robert's brother, Ed Dooley. In 1915, Ed mysteriously died right after taking out a life insurance policy, which would be paid to Robert and Lydda. Just a few months later, Robert died as well. A few months after that, her daughter, Lorraine, only two years old, also died. Lydda collected the life insurance money of each person in her family. Two years later, Lydda married William McAfee, and together they moved to Hardin, Montana. William, as soon as he settled into his new home, died under similar mysterious circumstances. A year after that, Lydda married another man, Harlan Lewis, who died two months later. 
Lita collected the insurance money on both husbands before leaving Montana and returning to Twin Falls, Idaho. In Twin Falls, Lita got a job at a cafe where she met her next husband, Ed Mayer. Now, Ed fell extremely ill and never recovered just months after meeting his new love. His death was the one that prompted suspicion among the community. Nobody could wrap their minds around how a strong and healthy man like Ed would suddenly get sick and die. The exhumation of his body was ordered for further inspection, which ultimately led to the discovery of arsenic in his body. The sheriff assigned to the case, Virgil Ormsby, began tracing Lydda's past whereabouts and ordered the exhumation of the other three husband bodies. They all contained traces of arsenic poisoning. Law enforcement immediately began their search for Lydda, who fled Twin Falls when suspicions about her began to arise. Lydda fled to Hawaii, where she met another man. But authorities caught up to her and brought her back to Boise, Idaho. Lydda's trial got national recognition and she now had gained the moniker of Lady Bluebeard. She was found guilty of murder and sentenced to 10 years to life in the Idaho pen. During her time spent in the woman's ward in the pen, she befriended a fellow prisoner named David Minton while gardening. When Minton was released from prison, he helped Lydda escape on May 4, 1931. The two made their way to Denver, Colorado, before splitting up. And in Denver, Lydda found another man, Harry Whitclock, and continued to live there until she was eventually recaptured by authorities one year later. Lydda was brought back to the Idaho pen and remained in prison until she was paroled in 1941. Once out of prison, she married yet again. This man disappeared from records, but his disappearance was never proven to be linked to Lydda. Lydda finally settled down in Salt Lake City, Utah, but died of a heart attack in the 1950s. Ironically, her body was brought back to Idaho and buried near her dead husbands, her child, and the officer who first arrested her. In the 1930s, with the prison population still exploding, the solitary confinement rooms, the ones that were just three by eight, now housed up to six prisoners each. Cell house number four became operational during this time. It was the largest of the cell houses and had large steel doors housing hundreds of prisoners. In front of the cell house number four, a reminder to prisoners to keep in line lay on the ground. Huge steel doors revealed a very tiny cage below ground. Those unruly prisoners were thrown into the hole, the door shut. Cell house number four is closed to the public, but it appears as if the ghostly remains of one of the prisoners still makes it out to startle and scare visitors and museum staff alike. Please join us in part two of this episode topic, where we showcase the crime, capture, conviction, and ultimate slow death of one Carl C. Van Vlack, notorious murderer. Remember to visit our show sponsor, www.experiencethis360.com to read travel destination guides and learn to travel smart.